Hello, welcome to the Kapow Radio Show on this beautiful day of... Today's date is January 2nd, 2017. So this will be the very first Kapow Show of 2017, but it's going to be essential. This is the Kapow Show that we're going to continually refer back to in future episodes and continually refer people to in future episodes. All future episodes will be based on what we're going to tell you today. Okay? Okay. The name of the show is called Deception 2017 and Beyond. Deception 2017 Beyond. You could also entitle it Discernment 2017 and Beyond. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's important. We're going to get back to some basics here. Because it's crazy out there as far as doctrines, mm -hmm. doctrines of demons. And it's not just Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism. It's people claiming Christianity, teaching bizarre, bizarre things that are not scriptural or biblical. And they're leading people in weird, weird areas. And they're leading them off the edge of the cliff. Mm-hmm. And it's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better. It's getting harder to find really good, good biblical word of God teaching harder and harder. It's out there, but it's getting tough. That's right. And it's only going to get tougher. So that's this is why we want to lay down the foundation. Deception 2017 and beyond. Here's what happened. Yesterday, January 1st, New Year's Day, we were invited to our good friend's house, John, and Janie, mm -hmm. we live within walking distance. They they are Kapow listeners. They've listened for the last year. We're good friends. They're good Christians. They invited us over to a nice uh, dinner. We had a beautiful time of mm -hmm. fellowship and talking. And in our conversation, we begin to talk about the lack of discernment today among so many people. And we begin to tell just different stories and different incidents where, you know, we knew somebody, or they knew somebody, and it was like, they seem so squared away. They seem like they're really good Christian, but how could they lack this much discernment in this certain area? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. And, um, I had told them the grain offering story, and those who have been listening to us for a while recognize that story. And in a nutshell, it's when God told me to feed his birds the grain that he will give me to feed them. And in my vision or mind's eye, I saw another bird feeder, and it was painted, very colorful. It was elevated. It was very sexy. It was very nice. And it was full of birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, But these birds were feeding on this sugary candy type of uh, grain. Right. And it was killing them. They were making them sick and they were dying. Whereas the bird feeder that I was responsible for, God's bird feeder, it only had two or three birds, but mm -hmm. they were healthy. And um, th that was a demarcation point in the Kapow Radio Show about how we were going to approach the topics we yeah. s we speak about. <clears throat> and that's one of the reasons why we just don't speak every week outside of Freedom Friday. That's a little different because it's a new show. Yeah, it's not really a teaching. 
Yeah, it's not really a teaching, even though some it's intertwined, but mm-hmm. it's not like this. The Kapow Radio Show is, we're not going to just do this every week just to do a show. Right. Just to get likes and subscriptions, mm-hmm. <laughs> like YouTubers, you know, like and subscribe. We're not going to say something just to say something. We're only going to say it if the Lord puts it on our heart. And that's been kind of few and far between. And it, it is kind of bothersome mm-hmm. for us. So last night we were having this conversation about that. And so we were talking about the grain offering, you know, that story. And about um, also the famine of the word of God in the land. Right. And that was the other thing that the Lord showed us a few years ago, that there was a famine coming. Mm-hmm. Now, folks, I'm not saying it's coming or that it's future. You have to understand it's here. That's right. You're in the middle of the famine. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're going to look at and go, oh, the church is going to be deceived. Mm-hmm. Deceptions everywhere. False Christ will arise in the last day. No, they're already here. Right. And they have been here mm-hmm. for the last several years. And it's getting worse and worse. Right. So there is a famine of the word of God. It is hard to find really good biblical teaching, mm-hmm. really good biblical teaching. Um, so having that conversation, when we left the house mm-hmm. of our friends, you know, I really felt in my spirit. It was kind of like, oh, Lord, you know, we need something. We need some grain mm-hmm. to uh, feed the birds. We need something to bestow, mm-hmm. you know, from you because um, people are hungry. That's right. They need it. Now, I'm, we, not, we not have hundreds of thousands of people listening or even thousands of people um, listening or who might even care about this stuff. But we do have enough mature, sincere Christians that need to be fed right. biblical feeding. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sometimes I yearn for just some good biblical feeding and it's hard to find. Right. It is hard to find. So we go home and then last night um, I'm awoke in the middle of the night for several hours. Um, and what I'm about to teach, what we're about to talk to you about is what came to me mm-hmm. throughout the night. I know it's of the Lord when I can wake up the next day and I'm not excessively tired. You know, like you didn't lose any sleep. It was it was so strong that I, you know, around 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, I really wanted to get up and just type this stuff out. Mm-hmm. But um, my lazy side kicked in and I just stayed all snuggly in the warm bed <laughs> till this morning. Yeah. And The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> that's right, which is a good lesson. So, um, you know, we're doing it uh, this afternoon. But uh, that's a true story, and that's why we're, we're doing it, because, you know, for the first time in quite a while, something has, has come to us, you know, to share mm-hmm. about that, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. So once again, every subsequent teaching is going to be based on today's teaching, uh, January 2nd, 2017. Because mm-hmm. this is vital. You know, even the, in the Lord, with, in, the, um, in three of the Gospels, when the disciples asked Jesus about the end of the world and, and mm-hmm. you know, his very first thing was, don't let man, do not be deceived by man. Mm-hmm. Deception. He warned against deception. So yeah. this is very vital. Yeah, I believe he said survival. it like four times in that passage. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's important. That's the huge thing. And it's, it's all around us. Not only um, in the Christian world or biblical world, 
in the secular world, everything has an agenda. You watch a commercial, you watch a movie, you listen to music, you got to hear the agenda behind it. Mm-hmm. But there is so much in Christianity that is false. Uh, and you really need to know how to discern. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- discernment is a gift. It's a gift of the spirit, but it's also something you can learn. Yeah. And it's something you should learn. Because you it's it's stealing up your mind, yep. right, and your spirit. So we're going to show you that. Um, the other thing I want to remind people of, this is important. We don't talk about it a whole lot. But on our fifthhookmedia.com, not our Facebook page, but our website page, not kapowradioshow.com. We have that also. But fifthhookmedia.com, if you go on that website on your desktop computer, right, if you use a mobile app, it's designed for mobile viewing, and it sucks. Down on the bottom of the mobile app, it'll say view and desktop view. Hit that to view and desktop view to see everything on there. But if you go on your desktop computer and do it, or you're looking at desktop view, go to the tab that says teaching. There's a teaching on the top that says teaching. Click on that, and there's a whole bunch of audio topics, old shows that we did that are like essential teachings. One of them, when you scroll down about three topics down, is how to study the Bible. And we teach on hermeneutics. And we, we teach about the hermeneutical approach to Bible interpretation. And it's vital. It's 101. We're going to talk a little bit about today. But the show I'm referring to talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it gets down into detail. Go there. Bookmark it. Save it on your desktop or your whatever you need to do because this is going to be essential for you in 2017 and beyond. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. you're going to need to get, if you don't have discernment already or not a lot of it, you need to get it now. Now, not tomorrow. I'm serious. You need to get it right now. That's right. Or you're, you're going to get deceived. There's too many nuts out there deceiving and man, they look really good. Yep. They look and sound just like Christians. They might even be sincere Christians. I think a lot of them are sincere. And they're just parroting what they've been taught. Yeah. You know, because they, they didn't have discernment. So they're just spewing out what they've already been told. Mm-hmm. And it's false. They do. And they just keep repeating the same nonsense from other people. Uh, okay, so false doctrines are abounding. They're not in the future or coming. They are here. They have been here. They're continually increasing on sites like YouTube, um, various podcasters, you know, different podcasting sites like blog talk radio or Spreaker. I mean, all over the place, Facebook, other social media books, books. There's a lot of these, armchair theologians springing up just saying weird, weird stuff mm-hmm. that sounds pretty good on the surface. Deceiving a lot of people. Yeah. There's a lot okay. of conferences out there, biblical, <clears throat> or, um, mm-hmm. Christian conferences, and they're not Mm-mm. biblical. The either. whole prophecy thing has gone sideways. Mm-hmm. You know, prophecy in the news, watching the news to interpret biblical prophecy. There's, there's a lot of problems. 
you know, the other thing, you know, we'll talk about this too. We'll give some examples is the whole, this ancient alien theory, the mm-hmm. Anunnaki, you know, starting mankind and see people get crazy with this stuff, you know, as well as try to prove the flat earth scripturally or, mm-hmm. you know, just, just stuff that's not in there and just leading a lot of people off different paths. And once you get a little deception, once you get a little feces in your sandwich, it's still feces, right? So you got to get out of that mindset of, well, they have a good ministry or the rest of what they say is good. It's just this part. There's no such thing in God's economy. Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, what he says is basically true. It has to be 100% true or it's not biblical. Simple as that. It's very black and white. Mm -hmm. So there's people teaching Bible and they're getting worse and they're getting more deceptive like in all genres and walks in life. It's not just the big guys anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we should just talk about the big guys. We all know Joel Olstein is just a motivational speaker. We all know Rick Warren mm-hmm. is a motivational speaker with a little socialism mixed in there. I mean, we all know these things. It's not just the big guys, but it's small YouTuber, YouTubers right. and the like. It's these people who hang their shingle out and say, I'm a Bible teacher. Right. Um, and people lack discernment today. So we're going to teach, we're going to teach you how false doctrines are created and how to recognize them and how to properly discern God's word. And we're going to give you specific examples on all these things. Okay. All right. Okay. Before we get going, we have a lot of new listeners, a lot of new listeners this year, different people from all over the world listening. And you may not know who we are, where we, we kind of came from. Now, I don't. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I'm not trying to be uppity uppity or man, I know more than you or anything like that. Cause that's not true. Mm-hmm. Those who've heard us for a while, I will tell you, I'm the first to tell you that just because you go to seminary, uh, doesn't make you <laughs> smarter than a person who's spirit filled and studying the word because the Holy spirit wrote the word and the Holy spirit reveals those things that are spiritual, right? Not a professor, mm-hmm. but likewise, I don't want to discount the fact that scholarly research is important. Mm-hmm. You have to have a scholarly approach to things and you have to have a logical approach to things. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. So I am going to give you, especially new listeners, our education and experience mm-hmm. just to show you that we're not a bunch of kids that just woke up yesterday and decide, hey, we're going to hang our shingle out mm-hmm. and talk about biblical things. Okay. Our education experience um, may be unfamiliar with some people, so I'm going to go over it real quick. Now, I, uh, Paul, Brother Kapow, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in Biblical Studies and in Systematic Theology from the Southeastern University of Florida. I have a real degree from a real university in Biblical Studies, so I do know a little bit what I'm talking about. I also have a Master's degree in Behavioral Science from the California State University, Dominguez Hills. Okay, Linda holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Dietetics and Nutrition from Loma Linda University, one of the biggest hospital universities in the nation. Uh, it's, it's affiliated with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and so she had to compete or complete numerous hours of biblical coursework to get her degree mm-hmm. also. Uh, she also has two Associate of Arts degrees from San Jacinto College, One's in mathematics and one is in behavioral science. 
Together, we have authored six books on demonology, spiritual warfare, apostasy, martial arts, and death. Okay? So we just didn't roll off the tuna boat yesterday. Um, I've been in church since I was four years old. I I, I was never saved until I was 15. Mm -hmm. I ran away from home at age 13 because I saw hypocrisy in the church. It's a good story. I'll tell you someday. But I was raised since four. I've seen it all. It's not, there's nothing new under the sun. The same shysters I saw when I was a kid are the same shysters I see today. And um, I was saved at age 15. And I really had a real experience with with Christ Mm -hmm. at age 15. And then I met a dolly and I had sex with her. And I never repented. And then I went the sexual route. And I backslid. And I backslid for 30, 35 years. And when I came back to the Lord in 2006 after getting punched in the face by God. And uh, that's all in our book, Demons in Our Marriage Bed, the, our testimony there. Um, it was the same feeling I had when I had when I was 15. I hadn't felt like that since I was 15 years old. And I've been following Christ ever since, never to turn back again. So we did just fall off the two to boat been around. Linda's been around for a long time. She came out of Catholicism Mm -hmm. and she got saved in what year was that? 1979. 79. And she never did fall away from the Lord. She married me and had to follow me into uh, apostasy, but she, she stayed with it. Bless her heart. She gets a reward. She gets an extra heavenly toaster for putting up with me. So, Okay. You ready to go? You ready to start? I am. Okay. I just finished reading Demons in My Marriage Bed, a true story of spiritual warfare written by Paul and Linda Villanueva, and I highly recommend it to all Kingdom Against Powers of Wickedness radio listeners. This book is about saving your marriage from destruction. It is a true and vivid account about adultery, witchcraft, curses, spells, and evil spirits, all attempting to dismantle and annihilate lives. This is an excellent training manual for building a stronger marriage by exposing the tactics your enemies use against you. Ultimately, the book glorifies the transformational power of God through submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a good thing. Demons in My Marriage Bed from all online digital retailers, such as Amazon.com and Apple iBooks, FifthHookMedia.com, that is F-I-F-T-H-O-O-K-Media.com. Demons in My Marriage Bed, a true story of spiritual warfare, changed the way my spouse and I conduct spiritual battle, and has increased our alertness level to the tactics of Satan. Please do not be fooled that such things cannot happen to you. Rather, get prepared and become the spiritual warrior needed to overcome in these perilous times in which we all live. God bless you all. People, listeners, um, later on, you can listen to this show the first time. Later on, you may have to listen to it twice or three times, four times. I suggest you take some notes and write some terminology down to really get this down because these tools are going to be based, everything else is going to be based on these tools that you're going to learn for the rest of the year and from then on to your death or to the Lord Jesus comes. This is, this is foundational, okay? A pretext with a subtext taken out of context will always lead to deception. I'm going to say that again. And we're going to break it down for you. A pretext 
with a subtext taken out of context will always lead to deception. We're going to teach you how to recognize. We're going to teach you how, actually, they deceive you. Then you'll recognize when they're doing it to you. What is a pretext? A pretext is a predetermined idea that a uh, person may have. For example, um, say I have a pretext. I want to find UFOs in the Bible or aliens in the Bible. I want to prove that UFOs and aliens are in the Bible, like Chariot of the Gods. And um, so that's my pretext. So that's what I approach the scriptures with already in my mind. What is a pretext with a subtext? What is a subtext? Example, finding a verse or passage that supports my pretext. So in other words, if I'm looking for UFOs or aliens in the Bible, say I go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, uh, where it says that uh, God's spirit was hovering or moving over the waters. Everybody familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Right? So then I, I go and I look at that word hoovering, and I look at the Greek, the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word, you know, that is translated hoover, and I go, well, you know what that looks like to me? That looks like a UFO. It's just hoovering over the waters. Mm. That's the first UFO. That's the first sighting of the UFO in recorded history. It's right there in Genesis 1-2. Sexy, right? Mm-hmm. Exciting. So, because I have a pretext, I'm looking for that. So then I find my scripture, and it's hoover over the waters, and then um, so it's it's proving that over the waters, uh, it's prior to the aliens actually creating the first humans, <gasps> right? Or say um, I read the I read the chapters in Genesis, and the Bible calls Abraham an alien in the land, right? And so I go to the Hebrew and alien, you know, it's translated alien, but it means foreigner or sojourner, right? But the King James says alien. Mm-hmm. That can't by be by, by mistake. Mm-hmm. So Abraham is a hybrid mix of, yeah, he's a hybrid mix of alien DNA, Anunnaki, and, and human. And, and then that's the seed of Jesus. So he was alien on a nuki DNA. And then we become in Jesus that we are. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You hear where I'm going with this, folks? Mm-hmm. I know I'm being a little extra ridiculous, but I'm trying to make a point here. And my ridiculousness is somebody else's teaching on YouTube. That's right. Mm-hmm. It really is. So now a pretext with a subtext is taken out of context, Right. Right. So what does out of context mean? For example, it's not teaching or understanding or even reading the passages prior to or after the subtext, nor reading the verses in context of the entire book or the entire biblical teaching. You get it? It's taken out of context. This is probably the most important lesson you can learn in all of this. Context. Things have to be in context. When something's taken out of context, you're gonna you you have to have a red flag and you have to bury in this stuff. Uh, when passages out of biblical context uh, are used to make a pretext, right? I just did it with the UFO and the aliens. Mm-hmm. I took it totally out of context, and I used the subtext to support my pretext that there's UFOs in the Bible. But when I look at the Bible in context, in, in a whole, 
Does the Bible support the ancient alien theory or not? Of course not. It doesn't. But in order to deceive you, I can't tell you that. I can't look at the Bible in the whole. I can only look at those scriptures. Right. Yeah. You know, that I took out of context. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to say it again because it's very important. When you get a chance, write it down and you really have to chew on this. A pretext with a subtext taken out of context will always lead to deception. Right. All right. It all falls in. Miss Kapow, if you'll do us a favor, and if you will tell us why it is important to study the Bible in its context, why is it important well, to do this? Well, it's important to study Bible passages and stories within their context because taking verses out of the context leads to all kinds of errors and misunderstandings. Now, understanding context begins with four principles. Okay, the first one is literal meaning. In other words, what does the Bible say? The second one is the historical setting. So, in other words, the events of the story, to whom the story was addressed, how it was understood at that time. The third one is grammar. The immediate sentence and paragraph within which a word or phrase is found. And the last one is synthesis, which is comparing it with the other parts of Scripture for a fuller meaning. Now, context is crucial to biblical exegesis and that it is one of the most important fundamentals. After we account for the literal, the historical, and the grammatical nature of a passage, we must then focus on the outline and structure of the book, then the chapter, then the paragraph. All of these things refer to the context. I'm sorry. For instance, it's like looking at Google Maps and zooming in on one house. Mm-hmm. So, now, taking the phrases and the verses out of context always leads to misunderstanding. Always. Always. And that's where you get the false teaching mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. For instance, taking the phrase, God is love. Good one. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Now, if you take that out of, con- out of its context, we might come away thinking that God loves everything and everyone at all times with gushing romantic love. And that's what we get. God is our boyfriend, a girlfriend. Yes. We're married to, you know, Jesus, Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, or homosexual relationships. Exactly. Are justified because as long as you're not promiscuous because God is love. And he, everything and is love. God is love. Yes. And that's his main characteristic, his main, um, attribute. Exactly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But God is much more than that. Exactly. See? So, but in its literal and grammatical context, love here refers to agape love, the essence of which is sacrifice for the benefit of the other. So it's not sentimental or romantic. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mushy, gushy love. Exactly. Now, the historical context is also crucial because John was addressing believers in the first century church and instructing them not on God's love per se, but on how to identify true believers from false professors. Professors, mm-hmm. True love, the sacrificial beneficial kind, is the mark of the true believer. And those who do not love do not belong to God. 
God loved us before we loved him. And all of this is why we should love one another and thereby prove that we are his. And that's what God, that's what the Bible teaches, is that they will know us because of the love that we have for God and for one another. Mm-hmm. Which is that agape love, mm-hmm. that sacrificial deferring to your brother. Because right. that's not humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Humans don't do that with, to other people. They'll exactly. sacrifice. So f- also considering the phrase, God is love, in the context of all scripture, or the synthesis, will keep us from coming to the false and all too common conclusion that God is only love or that his love is greater than all his other attributes, mm-hmm. which is simply untrue. Yeah. We know from many other passages that God is also holy and righteous. He's faithful. He's trustworthy, graceful and merciful. He's kind and compassionate, omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient and many other things. And we also know from other passages that God not only loves, but he also hates. Yes. He hates sin. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things under that topic of sin, Mm -hmm. you know. So he does hate Mm -hmm. as well. Now, the Bible is the word of God, which literally means God breathed. And we are commanded to read, study, and understand it through the use of good Bible study methods and always with the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to guide us. Yes. Our study is greatly enhanced by maintaining diligence in the use of context because it is quite easy to come to wrong conclusions by taking phrases and verses out of its context. It is not difficult to point out places that seemingly contradict other portions of Scripture, but if we carefully look at their context and use the entirety of Scripture as a reference, we can understand the meaning of a passage. Context is king. Mm Mm-hmm. So that also means that the context often drives the meaning of a phrase. And to ignore it, we put ourselves in a disadvantage. Exactly. You have a pretext and a subtext taken out of context, and it's delusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's probably the most important thing you can take away from today. Context, context, drill that into your head and you'll need to recognize it when somebody is teaching you something that's out of context. Right. So I just want to reiterate the four uh, principles. Okay. Okay. The first one is literal meaning is what the Bible says, the historical setting, the grammar and the synthesis. Mm -hmm. The synthesis, meaning the whole of the word of God. The question I asked does the Bible support ancient alien theory and UFOs as a whole? Mm-hmm. No. The synthesis. You have to look at what does the... So if you say, well, God is love and homosexuality is love and he wouldn't look down on that and he wouldn't be mean like that. Does the whole of the scripture support that? No. Mm-mm. It's just the opposite. It says porneo, mm-hmm. filthiness, lust, sexual promiscuity and and perverseness right god hates that all those things it's just not yes. homosexuality yes. it's all kinds of perversion exactly exactly so the whole the entirety the synthesis of the word of god says the opposite okay so let's do a case study here this is a true case study in malachi 3 8 and this is a true story it happened to miss kapow and i <clears throat> we we're going to an assembly of god church in san Jacinto, california and they used to take tremendous guilt-laden offerings and mother money-gathering events 
Mm-hmm. I mean, these people can take an offering. Mm-hmm. And they, they had specialists yeah. that would come up every service and do about 20 minutes taking money from you. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. They were a money-making machine. And they loved to use a Malachi 3.8. Right. They loved to use this. And it's a great scripture to use to manipulate people, to take it out of context, use it as a subtext to justify your pretext of taking money mm-hmm. from people. And it made people feel shamed for robbing God and or make them feel good that God would open up the storehouse of blessings for them if they gave money to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took the passage as a subtext away from its context to prove their pretext, which was give us money, right? So the passage says in Malachi 3.8, uh, and picture uh, one of the church leaders up there taking this offering and violently using the scripture to slap you over the head with it, right? Mm-hmm. Will a man rob God? You want to rob God, people? No. You, can you imagine robbing God? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, everybody stand up so you can get to your wallet Mm -hmm. and start hitting or you know what? Just go hit our donate button. Oh, we don't have one. But if we did just go hit our donate button, because are you robbing God? Right. So we, we sat in this church and listened to this over and over again and decided, hmm, hmm, yeah, is that what it really says? And you can do the study on your own. This is a case study. You can do it on your own. This passage in its context within the book of Malachi is God himself blasting, guess who? The priests mm-hmm. of Israel, not the people of Israel, the priests, the very leaders themselves in the priesthood. And why is he blasting them? He's blasting them for not tithing an offering to God on the very tithes they have received from the people. That's right. That's right. They're not taking care of one another. Among other dirty deeds the priests were doing, like divorcing their wives, etc., they were not honoring God with the grain, the meat, the cattle, and the fruit tithes. This passage has nothing to do with the modern-day church, its functions, its pastors, or its need to extract money from the congregation. Absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. If the pastors are comparing themselves to priests, which they love to do, and they love to compare their church as the temple, then the the passage would actually condemn them Mm -hmm. because the passage is God blasting the leaders for not tithing, Mm -hmm. not the people. Um. Now, then look up the word tithes in the entire Bible, the synthesis, okay, in context. And you will find that the tithes were offerings of fruit, vegetables, grain, sheep, livestock, etc. Mm-hmm. It was not money. It was not money. And then the people brought the tithes to, to the moed, to the appointed time, to the feast. They got to kill it and eat it and rejoice in front of the Lord. So really, to do it biblically, if you want my money, then I'm going to go buy a Cadillac, drive it to the church, and go, hey, praise the Lord. Look what the, the Lord got me with 10% of my income. A Cadillac. Not for you, for me, mm-hmm. that the Lord blessed me. The tithe was given to support the priesthood because they had 
no inheritance of land like the other tribes of Israel did. God was their portion and God took care of them. Okay? So that's just a little case study. If you get a time or if you're ever confused about the the unbiblical practice of churches requiring you to give 10% of your income to them, do a, do a real study on that. Mm-hmm. But that's a true story. This church we went to loved to take that scripture out of context, use it as a subtext for their pretext of getting money from you, Malachi 3.8. Okay, let's move on to the next point. Exegesis versus isogesis. Now, let me explain this to you. Just because it has the the sound Jesus in it, we're not talking Jesus of Nazareth or Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. This is a theological term. Let me spell it for you so you understand it. Exegesis is E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. Exegesis. The root of this comes from Greek, and it means to pull out to lead away like um you know the scripture that says um where jesus says you know if a scribe you know uh finds salvation he he brings out treasures from the old and the new Mm -hmm. uh it's you're mining it you're like you're like data mining it's like a gold mine it's like a pearl that you find in a field a great treasure in a field so you buy the whole field Mm -hmm. so you can have that pearl right that's what exegesis is. It's doing logical, hermeneutical study of the scripture to mine the truth out, mm-hmm. what God meant to say within the scripture in its context, in its entirety, right? Mm-hmm. When someone's called an exegete, that's a compliment. That means you're a Berean. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bereans did. Paul said the Bereans were more noble than, I think it was the Thessalonians. That he just came out of the ones that, you know, wanted to kill him and mm-hmm. kick him out. But the Bereans actually said, well, let's look at the scriptures and see if what he's saying is true. Yeah, you're excavating, you're digging out. Excavating is a great word. Yes. Exegesis. You want to be an exegete. The opposite of that is called eisegesis. Eisegesis. That's spelled E-I-S-E-G. E-S-I-S, eisegesis. And it means just the opposite. That means to put in. That means to put in. You're adding to the word of God. Mm-hmm. See, you have a pretext. You're looking for UFOs or aliens or Anunnaki, creating mankind, because you read Zachariah Sitchin's book, and that's got to be true over the Bible. <laughs> You, so, you, so you read Zachariah and Sitchin's book, and so you say, I have a pretext. i got to find ancient aliens of the Bible. And so then you perform isogesis. Mm-hmm. You add to the scripture your pretext, right? Because mm-hmm. basically what, that, what these words mean is that um, you're, you're um, changing the meaning of God's word. Yes. Absolutely. You're, you are changing it to fit your preconceived idea. Mm-hmm. We all do this to some degree because we all come to the word of God with our own life that we've mm-hmm. lived, our own preconceived ideas of what God is and who we are and how the world operates. And we all do this. That's why you need the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to help you discern things that are spiritual. 
Some do it on purpose to deceive you. Mm -hmm. Rick Warren is a master at this. Rick Warren will take a topic, some kind of church topic, let's say tithing, something like that, Malachi. And not only will he take a verse out of context in its subtext, Mm -hmm. he will find a correct translation that best says what he wants it to say. Right. We experienced this also at that same church, mm-hmm. Assembly of God Church in San Jacinto, where uh, he was talking about one particular scripture and he kept using the message Bible, the message. Right. Rick Warren loves using the message. And when we got home and bereaned it, we found it didn't say that at all in the King James or in the Revised Standard Version or in the NIV. Mm-hmm. The message had a different Yep. But that's the one he used because it supported his pretext. Mm-hmm. So they can get pretty deceptive, yep. pretty vile, right? So yes, exegesis is mining out or taking out treasures from God's word. To be an exegete is to be a Berean. It is the study to show yourself approved of God. Eisegesis is adding into the word of God, pretext, subtext, out of context, Eisegesis occurs when a passage is taken out of context, used as a subtext to support one's pretext. Mm-hmm. I think we're all getting this now. Let me give you another real life example. And I'm going to mention his name. There's a, uh, a man on YouTube named Jonathan Kleck. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that folds the dollar bills and gives prophecies that stuff's mm-hmm. going to happen and 9-11 happened because it's on the back of a dollar bill and things like that. He's an artist and... He draws and sees things and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. He's a a highly intelligent guy, I think. Yeah. But I've heard him not once, not twice, but three times I've heard him teach this teaching Mm -hmm. on his videos. And I was appalled. Right. We were appalled. In fact, I bereaned it myself Mm -hmm. because it was like, what in the world? Um, Kleck uses Genesis one twenty six. The creation account to support his pretext that Anunnaki or ancient aliens created the first man before God created Adam and Eve. This is right out of Zechariah Sitchin's type of writings. Yeah. Okay. This is the Anunnaki, the ancient, you know, the first, you know, star people here. But he actually uses Genesis 126. When I say 26, he uses just that verse. And it says, then God said, let us, that's Elohim. God, Elohim, said, let us, plural, make a man in our, plural, image, according to our likeness. Mm -hmm. Okay? So in that passage, God is Elohim. Elohim is plural for gods, right? Sometimes it's used as God Almighty, the God, or little Mm g-gods, idols. The Hebrew uses it for both. But Jonathan notices that it's Elohim there, and he also notices the word image, So he looks up the word image in the Hebrew. He likes using the Strong's, you know, online stuff, but he doesn't take it to the full hermeneutical approach. He just uses it kind of in like a pseudo intellectual way. Mm -hmm. And so he looks at the Hebrew definition and that word is Hebrew uh, in Strong's 6754. It's tesalim, tesalim. It's from an unused word. It means an image, a form Uh, It's translated image five times or images six times, likenesses three times, phantom one. 
And the Bible software he uses, it actually says idle, mm-hmm. idle. So he points out that the Lord God, Yahweh, would never create a phantom or an idol in his image. If, if, if man was created in the image of God, and the Hebrew word says that one of the definitions is phantom, does that mean God is a phantom? But Kleck takes this in a in a wooden literal sense then. But he ignores the other definitions of image or similitude or form. He only goes to one thing. Why? Because he wants to support his own idea. Proves a pretext. Okay, so this is, I'm teaching you folks what to look out for in the language with people. So to point out that the Lord God would not create a phantom or idol. And so this means that the verse here is proof, according to Kleck, that aliens created the first humans. Then Kleck uses Genesis chapter 2 to point out that this is the first time the term the Lord God or Yahweh Elohim. It's Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is still plural, but he never addresses that. But he says it's the first time the Lord God or Yahweh Elohim is used where before in chapter one, especially verse 26 here, the term for God is just the plural Elohim. Mm-hmm. So he sees us at two separate gods. Right. One is Elohim, little G Anunnaki from outer space. Mm-hmm. And in chapter two, Yahweh Elohim, mm-hmm. the Lord God Almighty. Two different creators. That's right. I, folks, I hope your hair is standing on end by now. Mm-hmm. He actually teaches us. I've heard him three times yep. teach it. Mm-hmm. Three times. I've rewound it and said, did he just say what I thought he mm-hmm. said? Because I need to Berean this guy. Okay? So, chapter 2 starts the creation of Adam and Eve. But he claims that prior, chapter 1, the Anunnaki created humans. And so he concludes that the Elohim is plural for ancient aliens or Anunnaki. But he only uses those two passages. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a subtext. He ignores the verses of creation prior to verse 26. You know how important this is, folks? Mm-hmm. If you ignore, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and he separated the light and the darkness, and he created the firmament and the birds and the cattle. If you ignore all of that stuff until you get to the image of man, then what you're saying is that Kleck has credit, credited the entire creation of the heavens and the earth to aliens. Right. And the Bible teaches that only God create is the creator God. There's only one creator God. Yes, there's only one mm-hmm. almighty creator God. And he has just given that credit to Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. You can't take verse 26 away from Verse 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or on down the line. No, uh -uh. You can't take it out of context. You can't make it a subtext to prove your pretext. But he honestly believes this. Mm -hmm. And so people have got online on his YouTube channel and have tried to correct him. Mm -hmm. The guy's not teachable. He has no teachable spirit. And if you try to correct him, he says he loves you in Christ, but you're going to the pit. Mm -hmm. Because he's the prophet. God has given him special knowledge or gnosis, and he has the unrolled scroll, which means he has all knowledge of the Bible. That's what he says. Mm -hmm. I didn't say it. 
I'm quoting him. That's right. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And I've heard him. So, so if you try to correct him, he he won't listen. See, and a man of and woman of God is always teachable. Mm-hmm. Always. 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 Even like Brother Kapow and, and myself, you know, if, if if any of our listeners hear something that we're saying that's not biblical, mm-hmm. we would appreciate you telling, letting us know, mm-hmm. and we will look into it. Yes. Show us where we're aired. I'm because not going to say that you're going to the pit. I love you in Christ, man, but you're no. going to the pit. I'm not going to tell you that. But we want just, the truth. Yes. So. Because you're please. seekers of truth. Right. So that's this is an example, but it's a real life example. Um, so you can see the problems you have this. So it's a it's a perfect example of someone with a pretext that takes a verse at, as a subtext totally out of its context. And then his use of the Hebrew is a failed attempt to appear like pseudo scholarly, but it is not proper exegesis, is it? Mm-mm. It's isogesis. He's had to add to the scripture to make it to make it work and you should hear his his argument for this he sounds very convincing and 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 people who are undiscerning would listen to him and go well he's using scripture he's using the bible he's actually even using strong's concordance and going back to the hebrew words Mm -hmm. god wouldn't make a phantom god wouldn't make an idol is god an idol how would he make an image of himself that's an idol Mm -hmm. And not only that, but a lot of times we have teachers that are really, really good and squared away at the beginning Mm -hmm. so that you're like, you know, at first you probably would have bereaved them, like make sure that they're teaching correctly, blah, blah, blah. And once you've, they've, you've gained their trust. Yes. Then you stop bereaving because you've already told yourself, well, this guy is a man or woman of God. Yeah. And so they can't go astray, which is wrong. Mm -hmm. You must always, always bereaving just like what you, when you hear us teach mm-hmm. you must berean what we teach mm-hmm. to make sure that what we're saying is truth yeah. that is your responsibility to berean everything exactly because we may not be the same people we were last year Mm-mm. maybe last year we really were squared away we really were bible biblical christians and mm-hmm. really but now i've gotten into a little bit of the money thing i've gotten a little bit of the fame i got you know like, you know i got a new hairdo whatever and now i'm starting to go a little sideways Maybe I well, believe, what if you know? we took this teaching from Clack and going, hey, yes, this that is- makes sense. That makes that's good. Let's teach it to our listeners, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now we've just given them false teaching, teaching because we didn't vet it out ourselves, mm-hmm. but just heard somebody else say it. It sounded sexy and exciting, a hidden mystery, and oh, well, Clack's got to know because he's uh, he's the bell ringer of God. That's mm-hmm. what he said. He says he's a prophet, and he has the unrolled scroll which is all knowledge of the Bible. He says that. So why wouldn't I follow him? Right. So see, it's very, very important. Very important. All the time. And I'm not just picking on Jonathan Clack. I really have, I really admire the guy. I think he's been through a lot of stuff and everything. Um, But he's, he's, he's out there. Mm -hmm. He's out there with some of this stuff. And I wish I could uh, comment and, but he won't. He won't accept he won't it. Accept he's, he's, it. He just blasts people who try to do it. So it's that's it's, what's sad. It's sad. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you read for us the difference between exegesis and eisegesis? So this is a little bit longer, folks, but it'll, it'll explain what we just kind of talked about. Get this in your head. After that, we'll move on to biblical hermeneutics, and then we'll end the uh, we'll end the show. 
Now, exegesis and eisegesis are two conflicting approaches in the Bible study. The exegesis is the exposition or explanation of a text based on a careful, objective analysis. So, the word exegesis, like Brother Paul said, literally means to lead out of. That means that the interpreter is led to his conclusions by following the text. The opposite approach to scripture is eisegesis, which is the interpretation of a passage based on a subjective, non-analytical reading. So in other words, it's just your own, um, your own idea, your own interpretation. The word exegesis literally means to lead into, or eisegesis, I mean, literally means to lead into, which means the interpreter injects his own ideas into the text, making it mean whatever he wants. And we gave you examples beforehand. So obviously, only exegesis does justice to the text. Eisegesis is a mishandling of the text and often leads to misinterpretation. Now, exegesis is concerned with discovering the true meaning of the text, respecting its grammar, its syntax, and setting, while eisegesis is concerned only with making a point even at the expense of the meaning of the words. So in other words, those that use exegesis are actually looking for the truth. Yes. Where the Isis Jesus is looking for support of his own ideas. Perfect. Perfect. So now, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it commands us to use exegetical methods. For It says, Present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So... An honest student of the Bible will be an exegete, following the text to speak for itself, while someone that uses eisegesis easily lends itself to error, as the would-be interpreter attempts to align the text with his own preconceived notions. That's important there. Attempts Mm -hmm. to align the text with their own preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So exegesis allows us to agree with the Bible, and eisegesis seeks to force the Bible to agree with us. Mm-hmm. So see, there's like, you know, it really is two opposites. Yeah. Now, the process, process of exegesis involves, uh, let's see, th- four things. The one is observation, and you ask yourself, what does the passage say? The second one is interpretation. What does the passage mean? And correlation. How does the passage relate to the rest of the Bible? And then four is application. How should this passage affect my life? Now, this this is synonymous with hermeneutics. Right. It's, It's the same thing. Some will say... Let's take a hermeneutical um, uh, approach to mm-hmm. something or an exegetical approach. They're the same thing. Right. So that's why we're not going to talk a lot about hermeneutics mm-hmm. because it's the same thing that those four things you just read, you read are the same things you would do mm-hmm. to yeah, you would ob- use the method. Do observation. Mm-hmm. You ask yourself, what does the passage say? Mm-hmm. Then you interpret, what does the passage mean? Then you um, 
then you uh, correlate, which means um, how does the passage relate to the rest of the Bible? And then how do I apply this truth mm-hmm. to my life? Right. Yeah. Okay, now the last one is eisegesis, and it involves, one, the imagination. Mm-hmm. What idea do I want to present? Anunnaki created man. Exactly. And uh, ancient alien theory. Two is exploration. What scripture passages seem to fit with my idea? I'll use Genesis 1, 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the spirit the hovering over the waters. Hovering is a UFO. Three, application. What does my idea mean? It means that uh, we're hybrids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Notice that in eisegesis, there is no examination of the words of the text or the relationship to each other. There's no cross-referencing with related passages and no real desire to understand the actual meaning. Scripture serves only as a prop to the interpreter's idea. Now, this is a perfect example how to detect this stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you're hearing somebody on YouTube or a podcast or something, are they propping up scriptures to support their idea? And you you know what comes to me here? Mm -hmm is witchcraft because mm. you're manipulating the word of God to um, to support your own idea. And it goes back to Galatians 3 when Paul was asking the church, who bewitched you? Mm. Who bewitched you? That you would go back to the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's Christian witchcraft yep. is what it is. It's Christian witchcraft and it's all around us. All around us. Uh, how about that illustration? Of Second Chronicles twenty-seven one two. Here's another example. Uh, Jotham was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem sixteen years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But, but unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. That's the scripture. That is Second Chronicles 27, 1 through 2. So let's look at the improper use of eisegesis on this, this passage. Mm-hmm. First, the interpreter decides on a topic. Okay, so let's say today it's I'm the pastor and it's the importance of church attendance. I want to make sure people get here and give me their money. So I'm going to use this passage to support the importance of church attendance. Plus, I got the sermon from the Rick Warren pastor's box that I belong to. Very good. So now I read 2 Chronicles 27, 1 through 2, and I see that King Jotham was a good king, just like his father Uzziah had been, except for one thing. He didn't go to the temple. Uh Uh-oh. Bad, Jotham. Bad. He didn't go to the temple. This passage seems to fit my idea, so I use it. So I, I, I do a sermon, I do my 20-minute sermon, and I deal with the need of, for passing on godly values from one generation to the next. Just because King Uzziah went to the temple every week didn't mean that his son would continue the practice. In the same way, many young people today in this congregation tragically turn from their parents' training and church attendance drops off. Shame on you, you dirty sinners. And the sermon ends with a question. How many blessings did Jotham fail to receive simply because he neglected church? Ah, Ooh. very good. 
Very you good. see that? Mm. And so now I slapped you. You have guilt. You have shame. I've used scripture. I'm the pastor, so I know more than you. I went to Bible school, dang it. Um, I'm holy. <laughs> Look at me. I, you know what I mean? And you're just here as a congregation and you, you got to start coming to church more mm-hmm. and you got to start bringing your ugly kids. Mm-hmm. And so when I take an offering too, you, you better start not robbing God. That's right. Right. So it works pretty good. So, um, now here's the deal because I have, I've taken a, um, a pretext and I've taken that scripture out of context and, uh, you know, as a subtext and that's what I did now. Here's the proper exegesis of that passage. Okay. First, I would read the passage, and to fully understand the context, I would then read the histories of both Uzziah and Jotham in Second Chronicles 26 through 27, also in 2 Kings 15, 1 through 6, and 32 through 38, to kind of understand who I'm reading about, right? Mm-hmm. A background. Mm-hmm. In my observation then, I discovered that King Uzziah was a good king who nevertheless disobeyed the Lord when he went to the temple and offered incense on the altar. Uh-oh, that's something only a priest had the right to do. That's in Second Chronicles 26, 16, 20. You get it? Mm-hmm. Uzziah went to the temple and offered incense on the altar. And that's a big no-no. He can't do that, only a priest. So Uzziah's pride and his con- contamination of the temple resulted in his having leprosy until the day he died. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's Second uh, Chronicles 26, 21. So needing to know why Uzziah spent the rest of his life in isolation, I now study Leviticus 13, 46. I do some research on leprosy. I then compare the use of illness as a punishment in other passages, such as 2 Kings 5.27, 2 Chronicles 16.12, blah, blah, blah. So by this time, me being an exegete, I begin to understand something important. When the passage says Jotham did not enter the temple of the Lord, it means he did not repeat his father's mistake. Mm -hmm. It was good that Jotham didn't enter the temple. That's right. Uzziah had proudly absorbed the priest's office. Jotham was obedient. Ah, It's a whole different picture now, isn't it? It's totally opposite. Totally opposite. The resulting sermon might deal with the Lord's discipline of his children, with the blessing of total disobedience, or I'm sorry, with the blessing of total obedience, or with our need to learn from the mistakes of the past rather than repeat them. But it doesn't have anything to do with church attendance. Um, so the exegesis, of course, it takes more time than eisegesis. It takes more effort, more work sure. to get this stuff out right. But if we are to be those unashamed who correctly handle the word of truth, and we must take the time to properly exegete the text. It's the only way, That's right. Jose. All right. So, real quick here, we're gonna we're gonna wind down. Um, biblical hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. I'm gonna refer you once again to our uh, fifthhook.com. Fifthhookmedia.com, F-I-F-T-H-O-O-K, media, one word, dot com. Go to, if you're on the desktop, 
it'll load up fine. If you're on a mobile device, it's ugly. Mm -hmm. On the bottom, it says view as as desktop, and then you'll be able to do it. You have to get to the real site because the the mobile version is horrible. Uh, Go to the tabs teaching, and you will find dozens of audio teaching that we put up there from our past teaching, and they're in groups. They're like spiritual warfare. They're about deliverance. They're about healing. They're about weird things like chimeras and aliens and all this stuff. We have a whole section on there, how to study the Bible. We have basic doctrines, Christian doctrines up there that are essential. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole thing on hermeneutics. Right. Go there. So we're not going to spend a lot of time doing this right now. Go there. But in a nutshell... Hermeneutics, when you're studying something, just like this case study here on Jotham, you want to look at the cultural and historical background of any book. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're old school, you have a Bible, and you look at the front of the Bible, and you say you're studying 1 Corinthians, it'll give you a little historical background on when it was written, to who and why. You want to understand who the audience is. You're not the audience. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. You want to get the application of that. Right? Right. So what's, what was going on with the Corinthians? So you want to know that the cultural and the historical background. You also want to know, number two, the grammatical and lexical analysis. That's when you start using concordances. And you want to know the Hebrew and you want to know the Greek. And you want to know what those words mean in the context and what those words mean in other places in the Bible and how many times it's it's um, interpreted this way or that way. So you, it doesn't matter if you're reading the NIV or the King James Version or the New King James. It doesn't matter or if you're reading the RSV. If you can study the original languages in there, you will get the spirit of what God was dictating. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get off this King James only stuff. Yeah. It's, it's biblical exegesis that's important. Mm-hmm. Okay, then uh, number three, you want to look at contextual examination, the context. Context is king. You want to examine the context, scriptures before, scriptures after, scriptures around it, the entire chapter, the entire book, and finally, the synthesis of the entire Bible. And then last, fifth, is practical application. What does it mean to you? When Paul was writing to the Corinthians back then, um, about speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, what does it mean to you? All right? You are mining the data out, not starting with a preconceived idea and putting it in. Mm-hmm. All right? So why don't you um, start to read, share with the people what biblical hermeneutics is, and then we will conclude Okay. Biblical hermeneutics is the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the text of the Bible. And uh, like we were saying about 2 Timothy 2 5, um, you need to present yourself to God as one approved who correctly handles the Word of God. That's right. right. Yeah, and it's Timothy 2 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The purpose of biblical hermeneutics is to help us to know how to properly interpret, understand, and apply the Bible. The most important law of biblical hermeneutics is that the Bible should be interpreted literally. We are to understand the Bible in its normal or plain meaning unless the passage is obviously intended to be symbolic or it figures of speech are employed. 
The Bible says that it means what it means, what it says. For example, when Jesus speaks of having fed the 5,000 in Mark 8, 19, the law of hermeneutics says that it should literally be 5,000 people, mm-hmm. nothing else. Any attempt to spiritualize the number or to deny a literal miracle is to do injustice to the text and ignore the purpose of the language, mm-hmm. which is to communicate. Some interpreters make the mistake of trying to read between the lines of Scripture to come up with esoteric meanings that are not truly in the text, yes. as if every passage has a hidden spiritual truth that we should seek to decrypt. Yes. Biblical hermeneutics keeps us faithful to the intended meaning of Scripture and away from allegorizing Bible verses that should be understood literally. You know, a lot of this, like in prophecy, this is done a lot. Like uh, Jesus says, um, in the in the last days, the end of the age, it will be like the days of Noah, mm-hmm. right? So what a lot of people do is they go back, but what was in the days of Noah? Well, they were eating, drinking, marrying, you know, they, before the flood came and they didn't have no idea. That's what the text says. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people will go back and they'll go, what's in the days of Noah? There were Nephilim mm-hmm. in the days of Noah before the flood. Mm-hmm. There were fallen angels that mated with the daughters of men. So therefore, Jesus says, as, as in the days of Noah will be the last days, there's going to return of the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. We're going to be giants are going to walk around. About. So <laughs> what they're doing is they're putting in stuff that that's not there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what this is talking about. They're finding hidden spiritual truth that's not they're adding that. Mm-hmm. That also happens with the book of Revelation continually. Yeah. No one's going to understand the book of Revelation, folks, unless you understand the Old Testament. That's right. It's all based on Old Testament. It's exactly. the most Old Testament book in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. You can't just start reading the book of Revelation and go, well, the beast might sell the sea, and that's like the start in Wormwood. That's uh, Nubaru. Yeah, that's Russia. <laughs> you know, Gog and Mega. You can't just come out of nowhere and do that. You have to understand mm-hmm. Old Testament. And you're not going to understand unless you read it. Once you start reading it, you'll go, oh, that sounds just like the book of Revelation. That's what that's referring to. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. You know, a second crucial law of biblical hermeneutics is that passages must be interpreted historically. That's what I'm talking about. Historically, grammatically, and contextually. Interpreting a passage historically means we must seek to understand the culture, the background, and situation that prompted the text. Um, We have to look at it grammatically. requires one to follow the rules of grammar and recognize the nuances of Hebrew and Greek. And let me say this uh, right now. If you want to study Hebrew and Greek in a scholarly way, Our good friend, Anthony Cummings from Mexico City offers a course, a free course. He just, he, you have to buy the textbook and if you can kick down a donation for his time, it would be appreciative. A workman is worthy of his hire That's right. and he works full time and he, and now sometimes he has openings for two or three students and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. You could get a hold of him through getting a hold of us. Right. Just write Paul at KapowRadioShow.com or Linda KapowRadioShow.com and we'll give you his his stuff. Or you can get it on our Facebook page too, sure. Fifth Media. And uh, so I just want to say that. We have access to a guy who can teach you proper exegesis in Hebrew and Greek. Mm-hmm. So if you want to take advantage of that, uh, he's there. For us, and he's a, a very good brother and mm-hmm. loyal Kapow listener. That's right. Um, anyway, so 
For example, when Paul writes of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Titus 2.13, the rules of grammar state that God and Savior are parallel terms, and they uh, are both in apposition to Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul clearly calls Jesus our great God. Interpreting a passage contextually involves considering the context of a verse or passage when trying to determine the meaning. The context includes the verses immediately before and after the chapter of the book, and most broadly, the entire Bible. For example, many puzzling statements in Ecclesiastes become clearer when kept in context. The book of Ecclesiastes is written from the earthly perspective of under the sun. In fact, the phrase under the sun is repeated about 30 times in the book, establishing the context for all that is vanity in the world. Okay. And then the third law of biblical hermeneutics is that scripture is always the best interpreter of scripture. Amen. This reason we always compare scripture with scripture when trying to determine the meaning of a passage. For example, Isaiah's condemnation of Judah's desire to seek Egypt's help and their reliance on a strong Calvary, Isaiah 31.1, was motivated in part by God's explicit command that his people not go to Egypt to seek horses, Deuteronomy 17.16. Some people avoid studying the biblical hermeneutics because they are mistakenly believe it will limit their ability to learn new truths from God's word or stifle the Holy Spirit's illumination of scripture. But their fears are unfounded. Biblical hermeneutics is all about finding the correct interpretation of the inspired text. The purpose of the biblical hermeneutics is to protect us from misapplying scripture or allowing bias to color our understanding of truth. And God's word is truth, and we want to see the truth, know the truth, and live the truth as best we can. And that's why biblical hermeneutics is vital. And now I'm going to go through those three um, principles again. The first one is to interpret literally. The second one is it must be interpreted historically. And always, number three, always that scripture is always the best interpreter of scripture. Let Bible interpret Bible. That's why you can't just take it out of context and say, you know, UFOs created men or whatever. So I hope you got something out of this. The The conclusion we want to live, leave you with today on January 2nd, 2017, that you get discernment now, not tomorrow, not next week. It's too late. It's probably it may be too late now. Seriously, folks, mm-hmm. you, you have to have it now. Get it now. If you already know this stuff, or like oh, I kind of know the stuff, I do it. But you need to hone up on your discernment skills. Hone up on them mm-hmm. now. Hone up on them now. Begin to use these um, exegetical techniques now, mm-hmm. because the time's coming. We're in a famine. You're not going to, you're not going to find food. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to dig your own food. Okay. Learn how to survive now. Right. Or you're not going to make it because if you get deceived, you're going to go off the deep end. God's okay. not going to go, well, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him three points because he, he once believed he tried, but now, you know, he's chasing on a nuki and crystal skulls and whatever. Right. That's not going to happen that way. You can't, um, you can't, like I said, you can't say, well, basically what he says is true. There's no basically. No. There's no basically. It's either true or it's not. Exactly. It's Period. either biblical or it's not. And there's a lot of people, even on the uh, 
this liberal side that is saying homosexuality and the Christian is correct. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, the Methodist church in Texas is doing a virtual mosque for Muslims, not to preach the gospel, but to hide them from the government. And there's a lot and lot of false uh, teaching that's totally unbiblical. And they're taking things out of context and creating all kinds of problems for themselves and for everyone who's following them. You got to be real careful on YouTube. There's a lot of quote unquote pastors, a lot of quote unquote brothers. There's a lot of pseudo scientific theologian type of people that sound pretty good. Um, they sound pretty intellectual and scientific. You have to listen to them carefully. We heard a guy last night who claims he's a Christian, sounds like he's a Christian, denied the Lord Jesus Christ or that the Bible. He said the Bible was nonsense. It was okay to believe in ancient scriptures, but it's nonsense for truth. What he believes is truth, well, he says it like it's absolutely true, is that the great pyramids have all the knowledge you need. And he named some ancient pharaoh that knows everything. And he actually said that Jesus was just a man. And here's a guy we have heard on as guests on other people's shows talking Christian lingo. But we heard him last night yep. specifically deny Jesus Christ as deity and also the word of God is nonsense is what mm -hmm. he said. So you got to be very, very, very careful. Right. Very careful. I'm going to leave you with a scripture in John uh, 16, 12. Uh, let's see here. Where Jesus talks to his disciples and says, I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Holy Ghost will teach you all truth. He's mm -hmm. going to teach you. And all you have to do is ask. Yeah. That um, your eyes would be opened and that he give you understanding. And he will do that. He'll give you wisdom liberally. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is ask for it. That's very good. Because these things are spiritually discerned. Right. Because they're written by the Spirit. Exactly. He's the author. All right. So we're going to go. Bottom line is, all we know is Jesus Christ and him crucified.
Jesus Christ and Him crucified for me. 